0: Um, this shiur was suggested actually by Tzvi. It didn't work out exactly the way you suggested, but I thought about it because of you. Now, the, everything in parashat parashit is difficult because because the language of the parashat doesn't really accommodate itself to the way we think about things, however that is. But one of the problems that Chazal perceived, one of the things that they that they universally did not understand was why it was that God created uh, the world in segments. Why day one and then day two and day, day three? Why didn't God just create the world all at once? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. I could tell you uh, answers that were given at various times, but I don't know the answer to that question. Now, interestingly enough, I think, at the end of the Parsha, at the end of the Parsha of there's another reference to segmentalization of history for no apparent reason. And that is in the presentation of the ten generations between Adam and Noach, right? And those ten generations appear in these Psukim. And just to remind you, remind you, uh, in this, in this parashah, Perik He, the first Pesuk is, Vayichi Adam, Shloshi Achanava Shana, Vayoled, Bidmuto so now we know i mean we know because we we read the parsha. we know that adam Rishon had two other children first right kayan and hevel but in this summarizing story kayan and hevel even though it's hard for us to understand this but kayan Hevel become irrelevant they're no longer part of the story. In, in, in other words, Cain did something unthinkable. He killed Heaven. But when you read the, I mean, I don't want, we're not doing that right now, but when you read the parish of Bereshit, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem that it was so terrible. I mean, here's Cain, he kills Abel. So God says to Cain, you know, where's your brother? And Cain says, how do I know? Well, I'm, my, my brother's guardian. And that doesn't seem to be the way an accused should be, should be treated. And then, Cain is not severely punished. I mean, he's annoyingly punished, even though we don't know exactly what that meant. There was this sign that was placed on his forehead so everybody would know that Cain killed. This is the Cain. This is that Cain, the one who killed, killed Hevel. But is that so terrible? Is that, Who is everyone? Everyone? Who is everybody? Oh, who is everybody? I don't know, there seem to be people around. You know, I don't know who they are exactly, that's true. I don't know. Uh, I, I, uh, okay, that's, that's, so it says in the Pasuk that he had another son. And his son's name was Shait. Shait had uh, then then it says so here you see that people have a lot of children uh, who are his wives where do they come from but I, I don't know i don't know anything about that i don't think about making real history out of out of the bible right i don't know anything about that but okay. and you know that many uh Chazal thought about that why 930 years so they said that 70 years were donated by adam or Hishon to david hamelech who might have died in childbirth if not for this this donation okay and like today you know people donate body parts and keep other people alive Pasuk Vah, Vahyich HaShet, Vahyoledet Enosh. Right? After Sheit came Enosh. It doesn't say too much about Enosh, but you remember that Chazal said that Enosh was the beginning of idolatry. Idolatry started with Enosh. Enosh was the son of Sheit, The Sheit was the son of Adama Rishon. And the remarkable thing about that idea was that if you count it up, you'll see that Adama Rishon, was still alive when Enosh became an idolater. Like, you know, this is like, uh, you know this idea that old people have wisdom? This contradicts that idea. You can imagine like Enosh, he never talked to his grandfather. His grandfather was not an idolater. I mean, no one ever thought that. Adam or he may have uh, not done exactly what he was supposed to do. He may have done he may have transgressed in eating what he ate on the tree that his wife convinced him that he should eat from, right? but he was not an idolater. And the way Chazal understands, as you know, the way that Chazal understands the Aveira of, of Adam shown was that it was a swara. It was like the Nachash, snake, convinced him that he misheard or it wasn't really what what God wanted. And that and it was silly to say that God didn't want him to. Uh, uh, that God didn't want him to eat from the tree. Right? So so it, it was it was this problem. It was this problem of Torah shebichtav, right? The problem of Torah shebichtav, like you never know exactly what it means, right? Even even today right that's why they have departments of bible in university because the written word is usually incomprehensible as opposed to the oral world which only exists in your understanding so when i teach the Torah Shebikhtav, you don't teach understanding but Torah, because you have the written word you know you could skip over the understanding but when you teach the it doesn't exist without understanding. It only exists if you teach its understanding. So, <coughs> how do I get to that? So, uh, again, then Shait. So he lived as long as he lived. After Sheit, Pasuk uh, uh, Chet, Pasuk Tet. So after Sheit came Enosh. Pasuk Yud Aleph, Yud Bet. So he had a son whose name was Kainan. Mahalal After Kainan came Mahalal El. After Mahalal, El, after Mahalal El came Yared. Pasuk Yud Chet, 18. And all of a sudden, there's a change in the list. And the change takes place with Chanoch. Not even Enosh, who the Rambam claims was the beginning of idolatry. It gets an honorable mention here in the list. They just listed all these names. But with Chanoch, there is a change. The list changes. Pasuk Yotet, V'hi Yaret, Ech'rei Yolidot Hanuch, 800 Shana, V'yolid Bani V'manot. Pasuk K'af, V'hi Kol Yaret, 2.60 Shana, Uchama Uchana. And then, Pasuk K'af Aleph, V'hi Hanuch, 5.60 Shana, So you have this kind of crux. Like you know that it's good. I mean, it sounds good. Especially because you know the poshok at the beginning of Noah, right? You turn the page. Right, it says about Noah. Ay toldot Noah. Noach ish tzaddik, tamim, haya, bidaratav. So okay, we remember that Rashi tries to help us understand what this means more precisely. But even if you don't know the precise meaning, this is certainly positive. Noach is tzaddik, tamim, haya, <coughs> Tamim is a word which means perfect. Not having like a physical blemish is a lack of tamim. But tamim also means a, a way of thinking about things, a, a purity of thought. And then the final clause in that pasuk is et halakim italech Noach. Just as the Torah says about Chanoch, right? Now, if you look at the Rashi on that pasuk in the beginning of Noach, Etel Okim Italech Noach, it's sort of the second wide line. Or if you can look at the one before that, Bidorotav, right? Tzadik Tamim Yabidorotav. So Rashi says, Yeshmi Rabbeinu Doshima Toldeshvach Kol Shekain Shilayah Bedor Tzaddikim Ayah Yoter Vyesha Doshima Toldig so rashi interjects something which is methodologically a, a general kind of rashi move, move when rashi explains non-halachic portions of the torah which i think noah could be included in that and there is a machloket in chazal about something he generally will bring both sides of the machlogan. When it's a halachic matter, when it's a halachic matter, Rashi will quote the way we paskin, or the way Rashi Pasuket, the way it was is in his time. So here you could say that what Rashi is doing, what Rashi is doing is, uh, is living up to his methodological position, which is that when the uh, Chazal disagree about something, you quote both sides of the disagreement. But there is no doubt, there is no doubt that even though I could say that, anybody learning Rashi, anybody looking at Rashi, now sees Noach as a problematic character. Since Yeshu Yeshvi Raboteinu said that he was righteous, and Yeshvi Raboteinu said he was not as righteous as Avraham Avinu. That's not just. That's not just a, uh, uh, a, method, a methodological position, but that creates a certain picture of Noach. And if the question was, how come the Jewish people didn't start from Noach? I mean, after all, we know that after Avram, Avinu, not everybody was a saint. So to say that not everybody was a saint after Noach uh, wouldn't quite do it. I mean, why wasn't Noach Abraham Why wasn't Noah, I mean, after all Noach saved the world? However he did that. Right? He it was because of Noach that God saved the world and did not destroy it. So why is it that Avotenu don't start with Noah? So if you're willing to ask that question <coughs> if you're willing to answer the question, so Rashi's answer to that question. Rashi, is that Noah was not a clear personality. And that's what Rashi says. Hithalech, you see? Eta elukim hithalech Noach. U ba'avraham haomer, hithalech lefana, go before me. That's what the pasuk says about Abraham. Asher hithalech lefanav, lefana, I went before him. Which means, according to Rashi, Noach ha'yatsirich sad letompho. Rashi needed, uh, uh, Noah needed support. He needed divine support. So there's some kind of essential difference that Abraham, Abraham could be described as being tzaddik all the time. Whereas Noah could only be described at Tzadik B'dorotav sometimes. So either Rashi is doing something which is methodologically appropriate for Rashi, or even if he is, he's also left us with this inheritance of making Noach a difficult personality to understand. So when we read these words, right, et elokimita alech Noach, it doesn't mean Noach, right? We're talking about Noach. It doesn't mean that he was a superior person in his relationship to God. It means that on good days he had a good relationship with God. So we go back to we go back to Chanoch. Go back to Chanukh. The Pasuk says. The Pasak says, uh he called me Chanoch. Hanoch et ha elokim. You see that last pasuk. chanoch et ha Et. The word et, as Rashi says many times, also means im, with. Right. Even though et in Hebrew, if you ever studied Hebrew grammar, would be called a direct object marker, which means that after the word et, you get the direct object. Uh, example. Bereshit bara elokim et hashamayim the et ha in the beginning God created, created what? Created heaven, heavens and earth, right? That's called et is a direct object marker. The reason that et was so interesting for Chazal is that in Hebrew, it doesn't make any difference if you have it or you don't have it. There is no difference in meaning between bar barlokim et hashamayim ve haaretz and bar barlokim shamayim ve there's no difference once that happens once that happens or once that's perceived you have to understand that Chazal will jump on it and they're going to say well what is et and how do i Get something a little. What's my value added out of et? And you've met many, many drashot, <coughs> many, many drashot on psukim where the word et is is uh, is emphasized. Even in et haShamayim, et haAretz, et haShamayim v'chol tzvach haShamayim. Right? There's this idea that the heavens are filled with heavenly hosts. I never really understood what that meant, but you know, so what hosts. Like, why are they hosts? Like there are a lot of them. That's a host? Host is like, I don't know. In any event, the last part of the pasuk is Ve'einenu. Which I think means he had no inheritance. No inheritors. enenu. He just disappeared. He might have been outstanding in his devotion to God. We've just determined that Noach was outstanding, but he might not have been consistent, right? He might not have been as righteous. I mean, righteousness was not his only mode. And so, chanoch, where it says, uh, it means that, you know, like Noah, not like Abraham. Night like Abraham. And then it says, It's as though, lakoz like called elukim. He disappeared one day. He was just gone. Who disappears? Right? Or either Moshe Rabbeinu, or Eliyahu Navi, or someone who has no children. They disappear. Because the list that we have here emphasizes the fact that each generation... Led to the next generation. ki He had no children who were like him. Were right? no children who were like him. He had mitu shelach. was also an interesting case. So there you have it. Now this list is repeated as you see in the rey abim aleph berik aleph. You see that right under that. Uh, right it says Adam sheit enosh this is the list that begins that begins the rei hayamim in other words at the time that the rei hayamim was written when was that I haven't got a clue at the time that the rei hayamim lachim was written by the book of lachim the books of the and the books of Malachim are kind of parallel. They 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 discuss the history of the Jews from the time of Shaul HaMelech, I mean before Shaul HaMelech until until the exile. Right, the last king of Israel is named Zidkiyahu of Yehuda, and I uh, mean we just had some Gedalia which you know was about Gedalia. Gedalia <laughs> ben Achikam. What do I, I mean to say is that by the time the Yavim came along, when I, whoever wanted to write down the early history of the, of the world, he started from Adam, Shesh, and Nosh. Right? That's the early history. Again, leaving out Cain and Eva, Right, They just did not exist they were early writers of history either because it was seen that kind of heaven was such an extraordinary thing something so unlikely and unreasonable that they refused to accept that kind of heaven were really part of the world so all of this all of these things that we have mentioned funnel into the first mishnayot in the fifth Peric of Pirkei Avot now, Pirkei Avot, Pirkei Avot, as you know, is a record of Taneidic ideas, right? In the beginning, in the first four Prakim, every first four Prakim of Pirkei Avot, right? There are six Prakim in Pirkei Avot. The sixth parakel is called Kinyan Torah and it's all about learning Torah, which is sort of, devi- it deviates from the others. The first four Prakim are statements made by Various Tanaim, uh, kind of statements we call ethical, ethical statements because I guess it means if you don't do it, you don't get whacked by a Beit Din, but you should do what Pirkei Avot wants you to do. The fifth Perek is distinguished by the fact that most of the things in the Perek are not attributed to anybody. So the first two uh, Mishnayot say this. Basara ma'amarot, you see it? Yeah, ma'amarot ne'ra olam. The world was created with ten ma'amarot. What's a ma'amar? Vayomer Alef mem resh aleph mem resh amira to speak, right? Vayomer Hashem yehi ol, Vayhi ol. So, in other words, you have to you have to agree, as what we said in the beginning, that there is this question i mean why did god create this and then create that and then create the other thing why didn't he just create everything all at once so the first chapter of the first mishnah in perkei avod perkei is going to answer that question <laughs> huh? so what do you need Ted mama wrote for the world could have been created with one the wicked ones are, uh, are destroying the world. And to pay them for this destruction, the world was created ten. There's ten parts of it. So that if you come to destroy the world, you're not just destroying one thing. You're destroying ten things. Ten Imrot. That's what the Mishnah says. and then to give to give the reward, the desired reward, the proper reward. to the righteous. That that they they Enable the world to exist, not just a world, but kind of ten worlds, ten parts of the world. So their schar, their zchar is even is even greater. <coughs> so the uh, Chazal, I mean, this is a well-known Chazal that appears in different places. The idea being, the idea being is that reward, reward can be great. Right can be great if you uh, are truly righteous, and uh, punishment will be very great if you're if you're not too righteous. Now let's look at the the next Mishnah. Right, we've learned we've learned the Mishnah. Now we're going to learn another Mishnah. I'm sorry, Mishnah Bet. There you are. That's us there are 10 generations from adam until noah true lo kama in order that we should learn how patient and benevolent god is to us shekola dorot yuma ubaim that all these generations these 10 generations each generation on its own angered angered God until God brought down the flood upon them so this Mishnah Mishnah Bet ignores the fact ignores the fact that there was Chanukh in the list again what does the list say? Kol HaDorot all these ten generations. That's what it says. Each generation was worse than the previous generation. Everybody was terrible. What about Hanok? He wasn't terrible. Or oh, maybe he was. So there's some of our who say, we'll just we'll look at the Rabbein Yon in a minute. Some of our say that Hanok, you see the it says, uh, so it's only at the end of his days that Hanuk really became righteous or righteous enough to notice but for his entire life he was uh, he, he, he was not so righteous that's what but Abi mean, you understand the problem in the Mishnah I mean it's hard to imagine that the Tana'im simply forgot about Hanukh that he wasn't there. So you have to say that Chanoch was somehow a problematic character, just like Noah was a problematic character. I did not live up to the standard of Avram Avinu, of, you know, even though he's called Sadiq by the, the Pasuk. The same thing is true about Khanuk. So let's look at the, the, the Rab. Let's look at the Rabbeinu Yonah. I'm sorry, the Yo Yonah. Rabbi Yona wrote a commentary on Pirkei Avot and on, on other things, other books. Uh, Shai Tshuva, we all know the Rabbi Yoga. Rabbi Yona is also one of the few people in history who's called Chassid. Chassid, Rabbi Yonah. But right? not clear perfectly why he was called Chassid. But I imagine, I imagine that he had some sort of uh, mm-hmm. had an aura that you, you don't call anybody Chassid. I mean, there were great, uh, great scholars, but they are not given that appendage. So, you know, everything probably means something. I mean, he was called Hasid. So if you look at his commentary, you see on that? Yeah, Rabbeinu Yonah. He's going to explain it to us. Uh, how, how merciful God is. that he's able to bear God is able to bear the burden of our sins so to speak sounds a little Christological but uh, you know all the good things come from the Jews this comes to teach us when you look at the generations between Adam Arishon and Noach, they all angered God. All the generation, each and every generation, even if you don't know what it was exactly that was so terrible. Then God uh, did not punish them, all of those generations. mabul. And finally, God brought upon them, upon all the people in the world, the the Mabul, the flood, Kilolam Ma'ric Apo. Because God cannot be expected to bear the sins of humanity forever. And therefore, and then you could also see that uh, within that context as the exile, the Roman exile of the Jewish people. And, and you shouldn't say how many years, how many days this is going on. and, and that God uh, uh, expressed anger on the Roman uh, Empire. Va and we're still in exile. Yarich Lahem Apo He says will this go on forever, this kind of uh, uh, forgiveness. Ki uh ki e ki erek apaimhu ye doateida ki lisophi lahem, ki palam at the end they will be paid their deserving uh, punishment. O kima say and according to what they do. v'igalenu, nu, Vyoshienu, Ki erchapaim M Gadolhu, because that is has already been a, a bearing bearing them for a long time. Akba Khareet Hayamim Po Keida Vonotri Shonim Umaheikadmunuracha mecha So what is it that the what is it that the uh uh Rabbi is trying to tell us? He's saying, okay, okay, you know, like, you learn, you learn the Chumash, and there are two sides to the learning, like right? two kind of things you look at. You say, what does the, the Chumash say? What does the Chumash say? And then you say to yourself, well, what does it mean to me? I mean, is there some way to actualize the lesson in the, in the, uh, uh, in the Chumash? So he says, well, the lesson in the Chumasheh is that God has a lot of patience. But at the end, the patience runs out. We can't, you can't just expect God to be patient forever. And since the ten generations between Abraham and Noah, Adam and and Noah were all bad, they, none of them achieved uh, uh, real righteousness, parentheses, including Hanukkah, Right, didn't really, wasn't really able to save the world. So the, uh, uh, those 10 generations, those generations show us that God is willing to be forgiving and, and push off the punishment and push it off, right? that Baruch Hu is Rachum V'chanun, even though we have not yet learned that, right? HaKodesh Baruch only told us about being Rachum V'chanun after the Chait Egel. Right, Hashem I mean, we just went through the high holidays, right? High holidays, we say that pasuk all the time. Right? We even say it at odd times in the dominant, like you know, when Hashem Hashem is the essential statement of Slichot. Right, that's what Slichot really is. You say that pasuk, and then because we're not sure that in heaven they're listening, we say it again. And then we say it again, and we say it again. And sometimes, uh, uh, and, and in order to make sure that, that in heaven they don't think that you're just saying it over and over again, so we say a piyut in between each, each time we say, ashev, ashev, keel, Piyut is a Hebrew word, which means incomprehensible material. <laughs> but that's what, that's what it means. Even if you have, the English, a good English translation, there is a good English translation. Davidson, it's called? The English. Rosenfeld. What? Rosenfeld. Red? Rosenfeld. Oh, Rosenfeld. Yeah, good. He's English, right? That's English. He's very good. But but it's very hard. He, I don't know how he did it, it's very hard to take the English and put it back into the Hebrew. You know, like, oh, the English is great, but... How does it come from the Hebrew? I don't, I don't always get that. But uh, that's, that Rachel v'chanon, we also say, HaShem HaShem Kehlerachom v'chanon, on Yontif, you know, by Hutzad Sefer for Torah. I don't know if you come to Shul that early. But, uh, if you do, you know we say, HaShem Shev Kehlerachom v'chanon. In fact, it's a big deal. You know, in, in modern kinds of congregations, they have some way of singing it, and everybody joins in. Well, they don't join in for Shema Yisrael, but they do join in for Hashem, Hashem, Keil, Racham Rechanem. Now, that's very odd. Why, why would you want to say Slichas? Why would you want to say Slichas to don't Sefer Torah? Beats me. But I guess people were standing. The Sefer Torah is coming out. So it looks like a good moment to say something serious, right? So we say, brich nobody knows what that's about. And then you, because it's written in Aramaic, and it also comes from the Zohar, which is a double no-no for most people. And so they put it in Hashem, Hashem, Kehra HaVachanam. So he, they, the, the, the uh, Rabbeinu Yoda, he doesn't say that we knew this. He says we learn it from the psukim, then he says how can i apply this to my own to my own uh, uh world to the world in which i live in so he said the world in which i live Rabbeinu yonah said in the 13th century Rabbeinu yonah said the world i live in is called galut romi we are living in the roman exile now the roman exile when he says roman exile it doesn't mean it's always bad doesn't mean that it was always uh, uh, oppressive. Sometimes it was more oppressive, less oppressive, but what we call the Roman exile, where the Jews were in Pavel, and the Jews were in North Africa, and they were in Spain, and then ended up in Europe, and even all the way to Russia, was not always bad. It wasn't that they were always unable, they were unable to learn Torah, or they were unable to be creative within within, uh, Torah issues. Quite the contrary. Anybody who who studies Jewish history cannot avoid ever coming into contact with Jewish texts, with real Jewish texts. I mean, there's no other way. That's what was going on, right? The Jews they didn't write comic books. They didn't write novels. They wrote Torah, and they wrote Torah in all kinds of different ways. So it wasn't that the Roman exile, we call the exile of Roman, was. Always oppressing us, but it was, it left us in the wrong place. We just shouldn't have been there. We should have been in Eretz Israel. That's what the Rabbeinu Yonah is intimating. We should have been here. So why is it, he said, why is it that the Roman exile does not come to an end? Does not come to an end. So his answer, his answer is that you see from the parasha in Chumash, that it will come to an end that the end is is over is guaranteed there is even though the first exile as you know had an upper bound right the navi says 50 years you're going to come back and that's exactly what happened 70 years (coughs) they built the beginning of the temple the temple was reinstated 70 years after the exile. The exile is 586 BCE. They came back. 535 BCE, that's when the Persian king allowed, allowed them to come back. Koresh, Cyrus, the Persian king. 516 was when there was the Chanukat HaMizbeach and the sacrifice of the Beit Amikdash were re, reinstituted. So that's called exile. Exile is when there is a upper bound when it comes to an end that's called exile so Rav Nachman says well when is the end? Rabbi Yonah Rabbi Yonah says when is the end of exile? his answer is his answer is that the end of exile is guaranteed I don't know when it is but I know from this passage that we have learned where all the people were considered to be uh, uh, evil that Eventually, the world had to change. Something had to happen. And that's what, that's what Rabbi Beirut said. Uh, 600 years later, 600 years, Rabbi Nachman, Nebraska, looked around and he said, what are we doing wrong? Rabbi Nacho said, what are we doing wrong? Why are we still in exile? Isn't it true that we do the mitzvot? Isn't it true that we go to Davin? Isn't it true that we live a life devoted to Jews and the Jewish people? He's talking about those Jews. He's talking about the Jews that he knows. He wasn't talking about Baalei Tshuva. I don't know if there was such a thing in those days. You know, the had this, uh, this interest in, uh, you know, da, he, there was a doctor in Uman uh, who did not go to Davin with Rav Nadal. Doctors were, uh, in, in those days in Ukraine, were problematic, were problematic people because in order to become a doctor, you had to go to medical school. In those days, you could not go to the rector of the university to say, "Hi, ah, and Show Shomash Shabbos, I want, don't want to take the exam. So if you had a doctor, you knew that he wasn't religious, right? It was just a de Satre. It was a contradiction in essence to be a religious, a religious doctor. Uh, I don't know, people grew up in New York. Like I'm as old as I am, but when I was a kid, we still knew, everybody knew who the first orthodox doctor in New York City was. I'm somebody who was, I there was there were one or two Yekis who came from Germany as doctors. But the one who was homegrown, who went to medical school in America and was from, was uh, was Shabbos Friedman. That's what he was called, Shabbos Friedman. That, all I mean to say is it's like a remarkable thing. It's not something that is obvious that you could be Shabbos Shabbos today. Everybody thinks it's a joke. You know, kids go and they say, well, I'm not gonna do that test because it's on Shabbos. They may not even be religious, but they don't care because they know that they've got the administration frightened of you know, doing something that's uh, anti, anti-Jewish. Remember Dr. Mohler? Remember Dr. Moller? He was, he was the yekker doctor, the German doctor who, I mean, you could call him on Shabbos, and he would come. He had a little bag and he'd come. I remember we'd walk up the steps, didn't matter what floor it was. He always, always came. At, at any event, sir, Abnachman Nachman said, Av. Nachman said, what are we, why are we still in exile? That was his big question. To himself, he didn't understand why he was still in exile. That's probably why he, he went to, to, I think, I mean, again, I'm not an, I'm not an expert, but I think, you know, Rav Nachman went to Eretz He went on the strip, he landed in Akko, he went to Tzvat, and then he went to Tveria, and he got up and he left He went back. And everybody wonders, like, why did he go and why did he come back? So I think that he went because he thought people would follow him. When nobody followed him, he realized that they weren't ready. So he went back. And he said, What's gonna, what we have to do in order to end this exile is we have to daven better and we have to do mitzvahs better and therefore that's what consumed him right this idea that you could do it better that you could be more involved. Uh, and if you learn the Torah, the Torah of Rav Nachman, which is not always so easy I mean you know, unfortunately it's not always so easy so you can't really it's hard to get to the point but if you get to the point you'll see that the point is what Rabbeinu Yona said Rabbeinu Yona Rabbeinu Yonah said it's got to come to an end. You see that, you see that from the Torah, that, that the wickedness comes to an end and the way it should be is what happens. And Rav, and Rav Nachman said, Rav Nachman said, we're not doing it well enough. In other words, Galut will go on as long as we don't daven properly, as long as we don't do the mitzvot, as long as we don't do the mitzvot uh, properly. So that's what we learn. That's what we learn from the 10 generations that are listed in the Torah, Me Adam and Noah. I just would repeat, you have to remember that Cain and Hevel are not part of this cheshbon. Cain and Hevel were extraordinary. You know, something happened that shouldn't have happened. But it's not the generation. It's the fact that Sheth had a son whose name was Enosh, and that Enosh created idolatry. He created idolatry. The rabbi says that the way that he created idolatry, the way that Adosh created idolatry, we're just saying that the sun gives us life, so we should be thankful to the sun. The moon is uh, somehow in charge of tides, and the tides are important to us. So uh, let's give a kind of thanks to the to the moon and that was the beginning that was the beginning of the idolatry that eventually you know it became politicized and and, uh, and bureaucratic uh, bureaucratic so there were people who wore special clothing and people who walked around in special things and sort of intimated that this was everybody knew the right way to do it but it was all under the uh, umbrella of idolatry it was all under the umbrella of, of idolatry that's Enosh, right? Other HaRishon, he's the one who denied God's will. Uh, you could still forgive him for, you couldn't forgive him for what he did, but you could minimize the size of the Avera by saying it was a misunderstanding. So that's other HaRishon, would we'll skip Kaid and Hevel and go right right to uh, Sheit, who was the son that took the place of Chayin and Heaven. Right? Sheit. And Sheit had a seller's name was Enosh. And that's all, all stated here at the beginning. It's interesting that in Dibre yamim Dibre when they want to write about the beginning of the history of the world, they write about Perak Hay in Reishit. Not Aleph, not Bet, not Gimel, not Dalah. It's inconceivable that whoever wrote Dibre yamim might have been Shmuel and Avi, might have been there's probably people in the courts of the kings, you know, who wrote chronicles, who wrote down what were, what was happening. They didn't write anything about Other Marisha they didn't write anything about Kain and Heva. Okay. All the best. Have a good job.